Vayishlach is a monumental turning point in the life, not only of Yaakov, but in the entire family. It begins with Yaakov's return from Padanaram and his anticipated meeting with Esav, uh, and concludes, of course, with Esav's genealogy, which closes the chapter with Yaakov, and the camera shifts from there for the rest of Breshi to Yosef. Parshav Yishlach itself includes many monumental stories, not only the gift sent to Esav, but in the middle of that whole story, the mysterious midnight wrestling match, or late-night wrestling match, between Yaakov and the Ish, which we've talked about recently. Um, and then, of course, there is uh, the the arrival, finally, at Beit El, where Yaakov builds the Mizbech, fulfilling his promise from all those years back, which we read about in the beginning of Parshat Vayetzeh. Uh, then there's the birth of Binyamin and the tragic death of Rachel and her burial there. And things don't stop because chop, 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 immediately Reuven has a sin with Bilhah. Then suddenly B'nai Yisrael are counted, including Reuven, in the count. And then we have the genealogy of Esav and of B'nai Seir and Machay Adom, with which the parasha concludes. And again, this is the end of the chapter, really, where Yaakov is a center stage. And beginning with Parshat Vayeshev, Yosef is center stage. And from here to the end of the Breshit, it's really the Yosef story. Uh, but in the middle of that, and I skipped it, in the middle of that story is the dramatic events, uh, the dramatic event and the events surrounding what have taken place between Dina and Shechem in the city of Shechem, or in the city of Shalem. Uh, and as you can see from the handout, I did not begin that story at the beginning of chapter 34, where the story occupies pretty much the entire chapter. Uh, but rather with the three psukim uh, at the end of Perak Alamed Gimel. As you can see here, Vayavo Yaakov Shalem. And the reason for that is because uh, as we look at this preface to our story, we could see several things in it, which when explored carefully, will illuminate parts of the story itself and what it means. So we'll just take a look at the psukim, and then we'll come back to this section later on. Vayavo Yaakov Shalem Yerushchem. Simple pshat is Yaakov arrives in a town called Shalem. So I take a look at the Rashbam, uh, which is a city that's under the you know, the district of Shechem or uh, under the under the uh, hegemony of Shechem. Um, and he camps east of the city. And this is a vital line for understanding what's going on. He purchased the area of the field. Uh, or the plot of the land, where he had pitched his tent, who did he buy that land from? He bought it from Hamor's sons, and who's Hamor, the father of Shechem. But that means he bought it from Shechem's brothers. Would have mentioned that Shechem was one of them. It seems that Shechem has other brothers, and they seem to be the owners or the landlords of the land. He buys it from them, that's the price. And he sets up in Mizbeach, and um simple uh, read of this pasuk, it's part of the Drashat Chachamim, is that he names the Mizbeach uh, El Elohei Yisrael. And Elohei Yisrael, um, in anticipation of the fact that he's going to be called, come called Yisrael, as he already learned, that formal name change hasn't happened yet, but he's been told it's going to happen by the Malach. And then we get to our story, and we're going to again, again come back to those, uh, to, uh, those, those psukim uh, later on. So Dina, who is the one daughter we hear about in the family, at least explicitly, goes out to meet the girls of the land. Now, why is she doing that? So 
digging ahead a little bit uh, later in the, in the shiur, if we look back at the previous psukim, Yaakov settled down in this area and even bought land, which means this is where he plans to stay. So she's going to meet who the other girls are in the area. So Shem, who's the, the prince of the land, sees her. And these next five words are what really set the tone uh, for what goes on. He takes her. His relations with her. I'm not going to translate that word because therein lies, lies the rub. Uh, the conventional understanding of what happened here is that really two evil things took place, that Shechem took her and raped her, and the other is that he then sequestered her and, and held her hostage, as it were, which then leads to everything that unfolds in the story. I'd like to suggest that that may not be what it means, and that we have to look at these three words or phrases, mainly the word and again the word and and see what they mean in Tanakh, uh, and whether or not the only interpretation, the favorite interpretation, or even the likely interpretation is rape and abduction. All right, so in the meantime, let's leave that open. What happens next? He becomes in love with her. He loves her by Daber, he speaks to her, evidently romantically, seductively. Uh, he wants her to, to agree to marry him, whatever it may be. And the next thing is, So he goes to his father and says, let's arrange, and again, the word kach, as we had above, take this girl for me as a wife. Now, So Yaakov hears about this, and the sons were out in the field with the flock shepherding, because that's what they do, Yaakov didn't say a word. Now, why is Yaakov silent here? Is Yaakov angry at what happened? Is Yaakov mulling it over? Is Yaakov waiting to see what the sons will see? We'll say, we don't know. And now, let's find out. So, Chamor comes to speak to Yaakov. And now, there's an interesting piece that happens here in that there are two different conversations that take place. In the meantime, background, so the sons heard about what happened. We don't know how they heard about what happened. Maybe there's all the talk of the town. They heard about it out in the field. They're very upset. And they're very angry. Why? And this seems to be a little bit of an anachronistic statement to say it's a disgusting thing to do among Israel when Israel doesn't really exist yet, nobody's been formally named Israel, and the family at best is B'nai Israel is a few sons and a daughter, as opposed to a nation that has mores and customs. In any case, Lishkav Bat Yaakov to have relations with Bat Yaakov. Now, does that mean nobody in history is ever going to have relations with the daughter of Yaakov? Impossible. Uh, if everybody has to get married and have kids, does it mean that only insiders can marry by Yaakov, what's, what's considered an insider. So the only likely interpretation here is that it's inappropriate for someone to have relations with Bat Yaakov without first marrying her. So that seems to be the problem. So now Chamor speaks to them, them being B'nai Yaakov, maybe also Yaakov. Notice how he relates to Dina. He calls Dina Bitchem, even though she is achotchem and bitcha, meaning she's your daughter, singular to Yaakov, and she is 
their sister. But he says, Bevitchem, perhaps is an honorific, please agree to give her to him as a wife. And then, otanu, and let's, let's all intermarry. Now, Benotechem is a little bit difficult if we assume, as the simple read of the text throughout, without digging further, which is the Dean is the only daughter of Yaakov, who's Benotechem. So it could be just a generic kind of statement, Benotechem. And it could also mean um, that he's talking to Bnei Yaakov, and meaning that in the future, when you have daughters, that, um, that they'll marry with us. And you could take our daughters. In other words, we'll all intermarry together. You'll live with us. And the land will be in front of you. You can, you've already bought land here. You're already settling in. So now you can be part of the tribe. You can be merchants. You can sell here. And that's part one. So Hamor's offer, which is the tribal offer, is let's bring our tribes together. Let's agree to let Shechem marry her. We'll go from there. Now, of course, the voice that's never heard through this whole story, and we can only guess at, and we won't be able to do it very effectively, is Dina's voice. What does she want in this? Now, in the meantime, we have the second proposal. So Shechem then says to both the father and the brothers, I want to do what's favorable in your eyes. Whatever you want, I'll give. Now, it's unclear whether Shechem came with a separate proposal or whether he saw that they weren't reacting immediately, um, excitedly, uh, and, and with readiness to, to accept the proposal of Hamor, so he wants to sweeten the pot, perhaps. Name your price. Like a very large ketubah, as it were. Let me marry her. Which means that either this is an additional piece or else Shechem's saying, look, if you guys don't want to intermingle with us, and all at least, here, you can make a lot of money, I'll pay you a lot, and let me just marry her. On the other hand, it could be that Shechem, again, is adding to the, the proposal and saying, besides the opportunity to join our tribe and become one, that I want to take her as a wife. Now, before we go further and seeing how Bnei Yaakov respond, we have to look back at those key phrases that are highlighted. First of all, so take a look on the second page, and you can see that um, in source three and in source four, these are famous, uh, the word is a common reference to marriage. It's used that several ways in totally legitimate kind of marriage. And not only that, but lakachat, uh, and the Rishonim deal with this in Masachat Kedushin, um, involves also persuasion. So, for instance, when Hashem tells Moshe, kachat Yoshuinun, or when Hashem tells Moshe, kachat Aharon, uh, famously, Rashi here says, Rashi says the same thing about Aharon, kachenu bidvarim. In other words, how is Moshe supposed to take Yoshua, grab him by force? He says, take him with words. You should be happy that you're the one who's been picked to lead the people. Same thing with Aaron. In other words, Lakachat doesn't imply any level of force whatsoever. That's first of all. Second of all, the second word is Vaishkavota. Now, Vaishkavota also does not imply any sort of forcible taking. And for instance, in Source 5, uh, the the text refers to regular relations between a married couple and just the implications for tumavatara and the isha sheishkav ishota shichvatzara etc. And in source six, which we're going to come back to in a minute, which is about adultery, 
um, it presents, this is from Marsha Kitetz, it presents two scenarios. Scenario one is a sexual liaison between a uh, betrothed maiden and another man in the city, which we assume is consensual, which is why they both get the death penalty. And there the phrase is vishachavima. And then, and then if he finds her in the field, then we assume that she cried out, nobody helped her, and then she's off the hook, and he's guilty, etc. And there we have a phrase, which we do not have in our case, which is, in other words, when we refer to rape or forcible uh, sexual intercourse, the phrase that's used is, he grabs her, he holds on to her, and then he has relations with her. Now, we roll back to source two, which is vital for us. Because source two is the one recorded story that is explicitly about a rape that is in the narrative. And that is the infamous story of Amnon and Tamar. And in that story, Tamar is in Amnon's quarters. Um, this is, of course, the event that was the, the catalyst that almost brought down Beit David. And Tamar comes into his room alone to bring him food as he, as he uh, deceptively uh, put together. And then he Greg says to her, come lie with me. And she says, no, you know, let's let's try this in a different way. She tries to say what she can say. What I want to focus on is in Pasuk Yodalit, Amnon refuses to listen to her, please. He grabs her and he overpowers her. So first of all, the Yishkav is there also. And Vayaneha, which we have to deal with now, but third of all, which does not appear in our story and does appear in the Parshat Kitetse in the context of rape. So there he does rape her, he grabs her. That is absent from our story. Now let's take a look at the word which is the third and the one that I put it in red in our story. What does that mean? So you will normally translate it as he oppressed her. He he abused her, made her feel bad from the word Inui. But that's not necessarily the case. Let's go back to Parshat Kitetse, source six. You take a look at the first section, Pasuk Haftalad, is again about a consensual relationship. And now why is the man killed? And there was no rape there. That's why she's killed also. So the verb inad doesn't necessarily imply something forced or something hurtful to her. Second of all, if you look down at source 7, you could see that when Lavan and Yaakov, this is the end of Parshat Kitetsa, when Lavan and Yaakov separate, and Lavan administers the oath with the famous mitzvah and the gal, that the oath that he makes Yaakov commit to is, because they're going to separate now, is im ta'aneet benotai, which means you shall not. Right, I mean, im taneh, the, the Yeshua is that I'm making you take a note that you will not taneh benotai or vintikach nashiva benotai, two different conditions. Well, the second one is to take other wives, and the first one is im taneh benotai, which is understood by most Rishonim as to say to deprive them of their conjugal relations, which means le'anot, le'anot, not la'anot, le'anot may mean actually to abstain from relations, right? And we see another, um, Piece that may be uh, may be confusing here, which is, which may be confusing in that it broadens the semantic field of Yan, uh, of Inui, is in the obligations that every man has towards his wife, which we learn from the parsha of Amah Ivriah, 
we're told, he may not deprive her of, I'll follow the Rambam here, her uh, food allowance, her clothing allowance, and onata, conjugal rights, which means Inu here is actually abnormal marital relations. So we now have three possible meanings to Inui, all within the context of, of, of relations. One may be um, normal heterosexual relations. One is the opposite abstention from those relations. And one in context may be rape. So how are we to interpret it in our place? Parenthetically, looking at the our pasuk from of Lavan, the Gran Yoma actually interprets it that way. And when discussing in the last parak of Yoma, how we know that Tashmish Hamita uh, is called an Inui, meaning avoiding relations is called an Inui. Meaning if you abstain and deprive them of Tashmish, which would then mean something very weird. Let's go back to our story and see what happened. And now we're going to just play it like Rashi. He says to her, I like you, etc. They have relations. There's no sense of force here. Vayaneha now would mean, and then he abstained from relations. And parenthetically, that's how the Nitziv reads it, although in a very different context, that Vayaneha means they had relations once and then they stopped. And why would he, why would he stop? So we have to see something else that goes on here. In, again, the, the, uh, paradigmatic case of a rape, which is this ugly story of Amnon and Tamar. And I, I included Pasuk Tetvav. Take a look at source two again. You can see that Amnon had such a tr- tremendous lust for Tamar, and after relations, his hatred, after relations with her, his hatred for her was greater than that lust was. He And then, and throws her out, and it's an awful scene. In other words, and this is often the case when some when a man rapes a woman, often the the response and typically response is afterwards that he's angry at himself, he doesn't like her, whatever it may be, is not to increase their love between each other. And as we know, rape is about power; it's about about uh, about control. It may, it's all not about love. But take a look at our story. Look what happens after then. He becomes feels very close to her, and he speaks to her, and he loves her, and then he says, "I want to marry her." It's almost as if we read this out of any context of a, of a preconceived notion of who Shem is, and who Chamor is, and who the Chivim are. But just take a look at the story; it would sound like there was a young man saw a young a young girl. Uh, they liked each other. They had relations with each other, and then. He stepped back and said, you know, we, we can't, did the once, fine, now we got to make it right. And the only way to make it right is to get married. And so he goes to his father and says, please, let's arrange a marriage. So from that perspective, seeing this in, in that, seeing this in the light of a rape and an abduction is actually very difficult in the psukim. But then what happens next in the, in the story, which will take us, take us further down. Let's pick up the story where we left it off at, uh, at Pasuk Yod Gimel. Now this is odd because Yaakov, at least from the presentation of Sukim, Yaakov is there and his sons are there and the sons speak up. And regardless of how old the sons are, if they're 10, 11, or even if they're older, as I posed in a different shear, nonetheless, for them to speak up in front of their father doesn't seem to be appropriate. And they, and they don't speak just to Shem, like 
generation to generation, they speak to Shechem and Chamor. And interesting, the text here uses a word that in its form is only used one other time in all of Chumash, and that's Mirma, and we're going to see where that is. But they speak Mirma Vayidaberu. So they speak deceptively. And what do they say? And that seems to be identifying who it is or what the motivation for the Mirma is. Some will read it as saying, this is what justifies the Mirma. I don't think we have to read it that way, because this is their motivation. The reason they're speaking Mirmah is because they're speaking of the people who defiled. Now, what does defiled here mean? Simply, in the context of this read here, it is that he had relations with her before they were married. Now, by Muralehem, what do they say? They fix it from Bitenu, as it were, to Achotenu, because now it's only the sons talking. We can't give her to a man who was uncircumcised. That's a disgrace. This will work. If you agree to have all the males get circumcised, then we'll take your deal. And by the way, they totally ignore Shechem's offer, as if to say, we don't need that offer. The first offer was actually a good offer. And we don't need the, the, the offer of uh, your big tubab. And we're agreeing to intermarry and to let her marry you as long as you all agree to do Brit Milah. Now, the Mirma here may have been that, uh, that it was a, just a huge bluff, assuming, of course, that nobody is going to be able to convince other men to do Brit Milah just so this guy can marry Dina. Uh, and, of course, they'll be surprised. That's the simplest explanation for what the Mirma is. It was a bluff. And then watch what they say. <coughs> if you don't agree to this condition, we'll take our daughter and go. What does that mean? Is is Dina in some impregnable house that uh, nobody can get into, and she's being held against her will, as is commonly perceived? In which case, how would this change things? If you don't agree to her conditions, we're going to take her anyways. If you could take her anyways, take her now. In other words, if you don't intend to actually agree to this, then take her now. If, on the other hand, uh, you can't take her, then how is this going to change? Either way, this is a, a strange phrase, unless she's not being held against her will, and unless the case is not that she's being being uh, protected by uh, soldiers of, of Shrem, but rather she's in the house, that's where she's living, that's where she wants to continue to live, or she's agreeable to it, and that they're saying, you don't agree to it, we're going to take her, we're going to take her by force and take her away. And surprise, surprise, Chamor and Shechem feel like this is a good deal. The kid, Shechem, did not hesitate to do it. To do what? We'll see in a minute. He really liked Dina. Again, this is not what we typically see in a case of rape. So not in Tanakh, but not from what is conventionally known or understood. And he is the more honored of his household. Remember, we earlier we met his brothers, without name. They were the guys who sold the land to Yaakov. Shechem is evidently the oldest, the most important. And nonetheless, he's so desirous to marry about Yaakov that he's ready to do this. And what does he do? So he doesn't circumcise himself. He doesn't pay the money. He actually thinks it out. They gather all of the men of the city. And they told them the story on Shima These guys are Shlemim. That may be a play on the fact that the town that the that Yaakov lives in is Shalem. 
but they are at peace with us, which means these people want to join it. These people are our allies. Let them live here and let them sell things here. And look how wide the land is. The area of Shechem, it's a, it's a beautiful area and wide area that opens up to the, the trade routes. I'm willing to marry. That, by the way, that's not enough to convince them, as you will see. This is how they'll agree to do it. To join them in their covenant and to bring me But at that point, Chamor has to answer them Meaning, if they join us, then all of that cattle and sheep that they have, they'll become part of our holding, which means we will become enriched. Let's just agree to their thing and let them live with us. In other words, we have a choice. Here is a group that has come in, they bought land, they settled in here, um, and they can either then stay as outsiders and then maybe move on and revisit their land, or else they can settle down and become part of our nation, and we become enriched. We see how rich they are, how successful they are. It sounds like a good deal. And here's the big surprise, of course, is by Shmuel Chamor, everybody in the city agreed to it. And they did the Brit Milah. And that, of course, is the scene at the end. Now, let's stop and think, at this point, if you're Yaakov, how are you looking at this entire scene? And now we have to go back to the top of the page and see what happened before this parak. Yaakov comes to Shalem. He comes to Shalem, which is a village outside of Shechem, east of Shechem, Salam, is the current village in that area. Um, and he camps east of the city, and he buys some land, and he sets him a Mizbeach. What is Yaakov doing? It seems very clear. Yaakov is settling down. Yaakov wants to live here, and Yaakov is building Mizbeach because he's now continuing what Avram did, which is to come through the land, settle down, and declare God's name, publicize God's name. So what is it that Yaakov is trying to do? So let's roll it back further. Yaakov was told, was given the bracha, that he is going to inherit this land. That was the bracha that Yitzchak gave him before he left for Padan Aram. He goes off to Padan Aram. He's there for however long he's there. He comes back. Now he's got his sons, so there's enough people to inherit a land, to take over. Now, how does he, how does he envision taking over the land? Is there anything in that commander, in that directive, that says that you're going to do it by war, or that you're going to do it by conquest, or that you're going to do it by overpowering or exiling or murdering the people who live there? Or perhaps he has a different vision, which is, what did Avram do? Avram came to the land and announced God's name and drew people to him. So maybe now I'm supposed to do the same thing, but now I am better equipped to do it because I have a whole family. So he comes to Shechem. He doesn't go to Beit El yet, and he certainly doesn't go to Hebron where his father is. He goes to Shechem, which is at the center of the country, latitudinally and longitudinally and geographically the center of the country. He goes to Shechem, which is the area where Avram first came to also, and set up a Mizbeach. Set up a Mizbeach, buys land, sets up a Mizbeach, and gets in for business. And Dina understands that. So Dina says, this is where we're going to be living. I should get to know the girls here. She meets the guy. That's what happens. Yaakov is now presented with what seems like a golden opportunity. We can now immediately increase our tribe by, we'll call it hundreds, maybe dozens of families who are all agreeing to join Brit Milah, which doesn't just mean Brit Milah. It means they're going to be joining the Brit. And we can expand that family. 
And so when when the event happens, Yaakov is silent because Yaakov is trying to see how is this going to play out. That's why Yaakov doesn't say anything. The brothers come in because they're very upset. The brothers evidently have a different approach and understanding of what they're supposed to be doing in the land. So Yaakov is silent because he's trying to see what's going to happen. And when Hamor makes his offer, Hamor's offer is perfect for Yaakov. And to his perhaps surprise, the brothers agree to the offer, meaning the brothers prefer the offer of Brit Milah, which then really makes it perfect for what Yaakov wants. And Hamor and Shechem don't say no. This is starting to play out as the likely scenario of how Yerushalayim is supposed to play out for Yaakov. However, notice that we're told, Yaakov wasn't told, that when the brothers made their offer, they made it b'mirma. They made it with deception. And of course, mirma is a key word in the whole Yaakov story. And let's think about where mirma happens. You take a look at um, at uh, uh, source 10, uh, when Esav complains about Yaakov getting the bracha, Yitzchak says to him, Ba'achicha b'mirma. It's the only other place in Chumash where the word is used in that, na- in that nominal form. Yaakov seems to be getting mirma back to him because he uses the same word when he complains to Levan about the switch of the sisters. And he says, Lama Rimitani, he uses there in the verbal form, <clears throat> as you see in source 10. So what happens in our story? B'nai Yaakov never intended, or at least Shimon Levi never intended for this to actually play out. Their assumption perhaps was that they'd say no and say, okay, sorry, and sorry, Dina, you can't stay with him because he won't agree to become part of the Brit, and they'll forcibly take her away. And then they'll go back to Shalem, or maybe they'll move. But surprise, surprise, they agree to the condition. So now let's go to Pasuk Chavhe, which is the end of the story. The men of of Shechem are in pain. Everybody takes his sword, meaning each one of them, Shimon Levi, each takes his sword. Where do we ever hear of swords among Bnei Yaakov? It's the first time we ever heard of it. Now, to assume that they had weapons, okay, maybe they knew weapons. But Yishcharbo makes him sound like an army. He already took his own weapon. And the word Herod here is critical. They come and they don't attack a city which is sitting very securely, meaning they don't they don't think there's enemies among them who are going to attack them. Ragu calls Zachar, they kill all the males, then they go kill Chamor and Shechem separately, evidently. They take Dina from there. Now, this taking may have been by force, although at this point, with Shechem dead, there's no reason to stay, and they leave. Again, they come and they pillage the city, as the city, and why the city is credited with that interesting uh, discussion. The, take a look at the Ramban here and the Rambam Shita that the Ramban quotes. So things get turned around. Instead of all of Bnei Yaakov's cattle and sheep becoming the property, the joint property of this new big Shechem family, now all of Shechem, the, the people of Shechem's cattle, etc., now become the property of Bnei Yaakov. So things have been turned around. Truly a mirma. They took everything, they took the women, they took the kids. And by the way, they took the women and the kids. So now, instead of intermarrying, then the families are now joining B'nai Yaakov. In other words, the same vision that Hamor kind of presented is playing out a little bit, but it's playing out in a flipped manner. That's the Mirma, that's the result of the Mirma. Now, what does Yaakov say to Shimon Levi? And we, con- we conventionally understand this. 
as Yaakov taking the tactical move here, as opposed to what he says, and we'll see in the, at the end of the shiur, I mean, so he says on this deathbed, here he's taking a tactical position of saying, you have fouled me to, to make my stink among the people. And that it's tactical because everybody's going to hear that we are violent and that we're not trustworthy, and therefore everybody here is going to gang up on us and we are a small group and we're going to be killed. That's what it seems to be saying. I think it's something very different. And their answer is, They say, yeah, but should our daughter, our sister be treated like a zona? Now, that's their perspective on what happened with Tina. But let's take a look at what Yaakov says on his deathbed, and we may get a different view. And the last source, source 12. Shimon v'levi achim Hamas mecheirotehem. Interesting commentary of Chazal. Klei Hamas means literally stolen vessels are their weapons. Stolen? So Chazal say stolen from Esau. It was they took Esau's weaponry. Now notice that Esau, if you look back at source 10, what is it that Yitzchak says to Esau when the Mimran has been revealed? You will live by the sword. In other words, the sword is Esau's weapon. Esau is the one who got cheated out of the bracha because of the due to the mirma. Watch what happens here. Bnei Yaakov use mirma, and then they use the cherev to get done what they have. They have decided is the correct plan. What's Yaakov's judgment of this? And again, there are drashot that is referring to the sale of Yosef or the attempted killing of Yosef. But the simple read of this is referring to the story in Shechem. And that's why Shimon and Levi together are excoriated here. And their anger is intolerable. It's cursed. And then what does he say? I'm going to separate them, which of course means neither one of those get land. They're the only two tribes who do not get land. Levi gets cities spread throughout Am Yisrael. Shimon gets a few cities settled inside of Yehuda. Shimon ends up exiling, going to Edom, interestingly enough. And that's the last we hear of them. If you take a look at Divrayamim Aleph at the end of Perak Dalet, you'll see that where Shimon ends up in Edom, which is Esau's territory. Interesting. What was Yaakov's vision here? Yaakov's vision was that we're going to come into the land, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to play out. And when he comes to Shechem, settles down, buys land, the, his daughter goes into the city, and Yaakov doesn't stop her goes into the city to meet who's there. We're going to be living here, get to know them. When the whole events with Dina and Shechem happen, and then Hamor's offer comes to him, Yaakov, as far as he's concerned, says, this is the way we're going to settle the land. This is how we're going to take the Kanani and the Prizi and bring them in. What happened? Shimon Levi, Achartemoti. That's what he says to Shimon. It's not a tactical statement. It's a programmatic statement. It's an ideological statement. He says, you have fouled me among the people of the land. This is how we were going to bring them close, how we're going to f- f- fulfill our mission of making this the land of Abraham and the land that is dedicated to Avodat Hashem, and you fouled it. And right now I'm a small group. I could have been a larger group. So what's the punishment? So Shimon and Levi don't get land. Shimon and Levi are deprived of having land because they're the ones who fouled the plan for how to uh, how to how to uh, how to get the land? Levi redeems themselves at the Egel or later on through Pinchas, 
and therefore they're given cities, but they're still not given land. Shimon never seems to redeem himself, and the Avon Balpor seems to slip even further, and Shimon, of course, is a tribe that most quickly, at least among the southern tribes, is the one to disappear. So we saw a very different take on the story. It's an unconventional take, but I think when we look through the Psukim and, ha- again, how these different words are used in Tanakh, we could see that this is not only a plausible, perhaps even the more likely read of the story of what happened to Dinah in Beit Shechem.